Welcome back to the State of the Ark podcast. My name is Mike. My name's Kason. We're back into Vagrant Story. We just left off where Ashley saw Guildenstern and Samantha and Grissom talking about incomplete death and yes. eternal life, yes. which is what they're after in Lamond. He fought Dwayne. Guildenstern saw him. He goes back into the Undercity, and Rosencrantz begins to follow him. That's where we left off last time. So, after fighting a few more bosses, Ashley again sees through Merlose's eyes. So he's having a second yeah. vision watching what she's watching. And he's, wit uh, he's witnessing an argument between Sidney and Harden again. It's this escalating more and more over time. Yeah. <laughs> um, Harden is uh, using his ability to kind of spy on the Crimson Blades, who are splitting into three groups, he says, right? They are wounded and increasingly wary of being split apart. Uh, Sydney says in response to this, the soldiers last night were trained elites. These latecomers are mere sellswords. Guildenstern doubtlessly wished to catch us in the Greylands, yet we proved too cunning a quarry. And uh, Hardin says in response, it is a hollow victory. Our losses are greater than the blades. And they have, mm. uh, and they have cut our puppet's strings and turned them against us. They will soon hold the surface we are lost. So what he's referring to yeah. is their ability to summon creatures and monsters and yeah. some of these undead. Um, and uh, Guildenstern will talk about this more later too. Sydney is like doing this, using his power to like control yeah. these creatures and monsters of Leomond and undead to like fight them. You but see him do it at one point. He's like writing on the ground and yeah. he's taking a long time and it's like, what are you writing? He's like, I'm just, you know, <laughs> doing a thing. And he's doing yeah. essentially what the older sorcerers would mm -hmm. do, which is where they would they would write their spell into the ground and then it would become the summit. A transmutation right? circle. It was a transmutation <laughs> circle, 100%. We're going to talk about that again in this episode. Yeah, but I like <laughs> the response here from Hardin. So um, they have cut our puppet's strings and have turned them against us. So yeah. Guildenstern is now gaining the power to basically do the same thing. Back. Right, because he's getting strong too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Because everyone's presence in the city is emerging some kind of power in them. Right. And so Guildenstern is rising to meet Sydney's level of power. Yeah. They're becoming more even. So, and, and Hardin is very worried about this. <laughs> and Sydney doesn't seem to be that concerned about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So he keeps insisting that he calm down, but Hardin's starting to really lose it. And so Sydney, this is the first time that Sydney uses his little mind control kind of ability yeah. on Harden and compels him to agree and calm down. Yeah. And this pisses Harden off a lot. <laughs> yep. And so Sydney says to him, We're friends, you and I. Is that not so, Harden? Give me your trust, friend. And he's like, Yes, friends. Yes. Right. And <laughs> <laughs> There's uh, that wee, 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 wee sound yeah, going. It's all crazy. Um, so as Sydney is walking away, um, he mentions that they need to use sigils to lock doors and things like that. Like, keep doing that, you know, like, you know, keep blocking their way, keep impeding yeah. them. Um, and this is probably the same magic that those knights we talked about in the last episode encountered at the beginning of the game where they were coming across locked doors, right? Yeah. Um, and as yep. Sydney is walking away, Hardin says, Sydney, if we are friends, do not compel me so. No. Never again, Sydney. Never and, again. And he, he doesn't say anything responsive. As Sydney's walking. walking away, yeah. Yeah. 
And uh, so where Sidney is going at this point, he mentions this, is he's, he's going to go find Guildenstern. Yeah. He's like, all right, I'm going to go uh, find him myself and uh, have a little meeting, have a little chat with our friend Guildenstern yeah. here. With Gildy. He's like, it's time to uh, have a face-off <laughs> yeah. with Guildenstern. So Ashley seeing this yeah, is going to start Merlo's. following Sidney to, to observe this, to kind of watch it, right? Yeah. And see what's going on there. So that's kind of like how Ashley learns about where, what his next destination should be. Um, again, Merlos sees the boy, the Joshua ghost. Yep. And this is where he says he intends to die. Yeah, so he the boy, to die. Joshua ghost, is saying Sydney yeah. intends to die. So they're thinking, oh, we're going to go seek, find eternal life. We're going to live forever. forever. Mm-hmm. We're, going, we're doing this thing. And Sydney is in a tight spot, but he'll make it out. You know, it's yeah. like... He's he knows he's gonna die. Sydney's yep. going to die. Yep. He that changes. He's, that he's, he's it's his purpose. He's yes. like he's meaning to do this. That changes. That should change everything mm-hmm. for well. Harden. I don't think Harden knows this, but yeah. Um, now Merlos does. Yeah. So Ashley kind of comes to again after having seen this scene, and uh, he sort of moves on, and y- you kind of just see like in the background like Rosencrantz just like sitting there watching him, right? Yeah. And he says, "What have you done, Sydney?" So what have you done? Yeah. Next scene we see is Ashley following Sydney as he goes to have his talk with Guildenstern. Um, and at the at this point, Guildenstern is sort of like he's sort of crouched down. He's like examining a wall. And Samantha, oh, yes. Samantha kind of walks in behind him, and um, she says, "Ancient Kildean." So Kildean is the language of From the people. From Leomond thousands of years yeah, ago. Yeah, that would have been Mullenkamp would yeah, have spoken Mullenkamp that language. Yeah, right. ancient Kildean from Mullenkamp's time, right? And uh, Gildan says, "Ah, truly, these were written before the birth of Saint Iochus, a time when sorcerers were common as sellswords." See, so yeah, the, the, this dates in the history of um, of. Ivalice a little bit, like where Vagrant yeah. Story falls. This is way, way after Final Fantasy XII. Obviously, okay, Tactics yeah. came after twelve as well. Yeah. But then this is actually way after Final Fantasy Tactics because mm. magic and things like that are basically not really a part of the main world anymore. Right. Because it's like sorcerers were common as sellswords. It's like not common for people to use magic in this world. And that's certainly shown in the gameplay. Yeah. I took a different... Meaning from that same line, though. Oh, sure. So I've got Guildenstern is looking at the writing around the city and claims that it was written long ago, back when sorcerers were sellswords. This implies that these writings were written by sorcerers, specifically. Mm, yeah. And ancient sorcerers left writings all around town, yes. right? They're like all over the walls. Just all everywhere. over. You can yeah. see them as you play. Sometimes you'll find just little writings on the wall. And you were saying it looked almost like English, but you couldn't read it? It looks kind of like English, yeah. But I felt like I couldn't read it because it was too blurry, not because it was the wrong shape. Yeah, that was right? my um, yeah. That was my speculation, was that maybe they're using English letters or something, but it's meant to represent yeah. the ancient Kildan, which was a different language. I don't know if that's true or not, but... It's Maybe kind of looked like English to me. You can't make out what it's saying. Yeah, but, uh, I couldn't of course, make it could out. also just be it's a blurry texture, right? Yeah, but it, it was like I was on the edge, but I couldn't make out a single word, which means it was probably 
Just, just meant to look like English, but yeah. not actually English. And that would make a little more sense. I thought it was like a hidden message from the game developers. Mm -hmm. But I couldn't figure out exactly what it said. Um, but the idea is, for whatever reason, these sorcerers were writing text all around the city yeah. back a long, long time ago. Right. Okay, so then Samantha here, she sort of shows like her first doubt about yeah. the Cardinal's intentions a little bit. Mm. So she asks if the Cardinal is going to stop the legacy of Camp, which is Grimoire's, yeah. from falling into the wrong hands. And Gildenstern says, of course, my Yeah, love. of course he wouldn't. Of course the Cardinal is yeah. not going to do anything bad. Because <laughs> the church and JRPGs are always good. Yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so she then begins to suspect that Sydney has already attained what she calls the Grand Grimoire. The this Grand the, Grimoire. The first mention of the Grand Grimoire. Yeah. Uh, which she says is the ultimate codex of all sorcery. Gildenstern isn't so sure, um, but he does mention that the Graham Grimoire is a, what he calls a prime mover and the machinery of life itself. Hmm. So interesting little kind of new piece of lore here. This Grand Grimoire, the ultimate codex of all sorcery, the prime mover and the machinery of life itself. This is what they're after. It's a tome or yeah. a book called the Graham Grimoire. And yes. this is where Sidney comes in and asks, what would you do with it yes. if you had that book? Do you even know how to use it kind yes. of thing? Yeah. What, what would you do if you had this? Mm -hmm. And so Gildenstern then begins accusing him of being in league with the Duke right. to control men and things like that. And I love Sidney's response. Sidney has a good response, yeah. <laughs> He's like, oh, please. Warping the minds of men and shepherding the masses has always been your church's domain. Yeah. You lure sheep with empty miracles and a dead god, or perhaps you too are a sheep, Samantha. So yeah. he starts trying to play with her a little yes. bit here. Yes, said bleating about and yeah, yeah. A poor little lamb bleeding for your faith as though it, w it were milk of the poppy. So I think we mentioned in the first episode that he was, uh, Alexander o. Smith was asked about the pseudo sort of Shakespearean language oh, yeah. of the text. And, and he said in response, I was actually more inspired by Game of Thrones. Right. Right. Like, and milk of the poppy is a term directly from Game of Thrones. Oh, no way, really. So the poppy, um, well, hold on. Let me make sure I get this right. I, I think, I, yeah, here it is right here. So uh, a poppy flower is the plant from which opium well, is yeah, derived. Yeah, po poppy seed. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, sure. And opium is the basis for opiate, or opiate, which is used in pain medications like oxycodone. Yeah. Right. So the idea in George R. R. Martin's mind was right. They were using the flower, the poppy flower, to create pain, uh, like elixirs or, or tonics okay. or something like that, sure. um, to administer to people in the world of Game of Thrones, which is sort of based in real medicine. It's kind of a, you know, a cool thing. Yeah, but, that's cool. So in in Game of Thrones, they always talk about milk of the poppy to like dual pain hmm. and things like that. So that term is like directly from Game of Thrones. And so that's a, a confirmation, I think, a little bit that he was really yeah. pulling or reading Game of Thrones or had read it maybe like a little, a few years before the, that he was working on this game and was using it as a, a source of inspiration for how he was writing this dialogue. Nice. I, I just thought that was really interesting because I've never seen that term, Milk of the Poppy, used anywhere else other than in Game of Thrones. So. Hmm. I, I had never heard the term before either. Yeah. Uh, so that's what that's all about. Milk of the Poppy just means 
using the poppy flower for some kind of like pain medicine hmm. kind of a thing. So we'll read that line again. Um, a poor little lamb bleeding for your faith as though it were milk of the poppy. Of course, uh, opioids or opiates are also extremely addictive. True. Well, right. <clears throat> the connection here with Karl, <laughs> Karl Marx, right? That religion is the opiate. Yes. Of, of the people, the opiate right. of the masses, right? Yes. So, and he's saying, yeah, you're treating your religion like it's a little opium thing that you can yep. drink. And it's like, that was Marx's critique of religion just in general. Right. Yet, mark your savior well, for he is one of the demons you so fear, Samantha. Talking about Guildenstern. And she's like, be silent, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, she gets mad. And he says in response, a sweeter faith still is the draft called love. The draft yes. called love. So he's reading her heart. <laughs> yep, he's doing his low power. And yeah. there, it, it, he actually sort of starts to do it. Like he kind of puts his hand out and there's like yes. a little effect. But then Guildenstern like interrupts this, like steps uh -huh. in the way. He's like, be wary, Samantha. Like don't listen to what he's yeah, saying. Don't let him play his tricks on you. Yeah. And he is powerful enough yes. to where, because I believe that at this point, Sidney then tries to do it on Guildenstern as well. And he goes, oh, you're a strong-willed person, I suppose. Yes. So he, he can't do it there. And that kind of adds to... Guildenstern's rise in yes. equaling his well, power. It, it goes along with what Hardin was saying, what, what yeah. Hardin was afraid of, mm -hmm. that something like this was going to happen. Yeah, so he's kind of complimenting him on his strong will. Yeah. Um, and then Guildenstern says, you're not the only shepherd here, Sydney." And then this really cool effect where... Guildenstern for a moment teleports through the wall they're talking through. There's like a, a gate, almost like a, a yeah. right there, a locked gate. Guildenstern appears behind for a moment, Sydney, and slashes at him, which yeah. he barely avoids. He's very surprised by this. And then all of a sudden he's back where he originally was looking at him through the gate again. So, he, so it kind of goes like this. You're not the only shepherd here, Sydney. Bam, attack. Whoa, holy crap, looks back. Watch your crook lest it be wrenched from you. A crook is the hooked sort of staff that shepherds use ah, there you to yeah. herd their sheep, right? So again, this word play and these analogies is so much what I love about the language. Yeah. You're not the only shepherd here, Sydney. Watch your crook, lest it be wrenched from you. So he's saying, I'm, I'm, up, I'm here. I'm almost as powerful as you. Yeah. I'm about to take your crook away from you. You're not... You're not the only one who can do this stuff anymore. Wow. I'm, I'm, That's cool. I'm rising in power to rival you now. And so Sidney, in response to that, just turns and walks away and sort of disappears. Yeah. And, and he's like, yep, Gilmstern's formidable. This is well, getting out of hand. <laughs> so Ashley, having watched all of this, just asks the question, the Grand Grimoire? What is this all about? So... You go back, moving through Leomon's Undercity, and this is where Ashley emerges um, near the Snowfly Forest. Ah, like uh, yeah, entrance yeah. Entrance to the Snowfly Forest. This is where Rosencrantz finally shows up. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, but before that, he sees through Samantha's eyes ah. this time. So he has another sort of like clairvoyant sort of episode, but he, now he's seeing through Samantha rather than Merlot's. And Samantha is conversing with another character named Nisa, this is our first time seeing her, although I don't think her name is mentioned yet. Um, and she's sort of asking her about how the fighting in the city is going, how many men have you lost, these sorts of things. It seems that at this point the blades are in control, they're feeling confident, 
but they have lost a lot of men. I think she says something like three or four score they've yeah, lost. Yeah, yeah. So, like, that's a lot of people. <laughs> yep. That's a lot of Crimson Blades that have been killed in this battle, right? Mm -hmm. um, Samantha is uh, concerned as she's listening. You know, she's concerned about these undead. And she, she talks again, as the soldiers earlier mentioned, they'll walk beneath the stars when eventide comes. So they're worried yep. about the undead once, emerging once from the falls. undercity into yep. the main city at night. It's like, how are we going to handle this? Yeah. So they're, they're, there's a lot of concern about that. As she's showing that doubt and that fear, this is when Guildenstern kind of arrives in the scene. Yeah. Um, and he talks about how Sidney has summoned what he calls their dark brood to repel them. Uh, the monsters and undead and stuff that Sidney is controlling, right? Yeah. Um, but he also mentions that though, though Mullenkamp, the, the, the cultists and stuff that are fighting, like, fighting against them, though they can summon, they can't seem to control them. They can't control them. Very yeah. well. Yeah. And uh, so he says, soon the paling that holds the demons in Leomond will fall. Paling is just like a fence. A fence, yeah, right? I was going to say. Yeah. So it's like, this is getting crazy because they can't control these things they're summoning. Yeah. And soon they're going to get out of Leomond and infest the world That's of men, true. and this is not good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is like, this is crazy. Because they, they don't have control over what they're doing. So he's, he's showing some concern about that. And um, he's, he says something about nature's order, right? Um, or Samantha does or something like, I think Samantha does. She mentions something about going against nature's order. Mm. And this is where Ashley, asks the question, nature's order, but he spoke through Samantha yes. accidentally. Yeah. And this is where uh, Guildenstern realizes, oh, the risk breaker is like watching me through Samantha. Yeah. And he just, just he like smacks her, her. So she's bleeding out of her mouth. Yeah. Like he hits her really hard. And it breaks the connection. It does. But you also see that Ashley is bleeding from the mouth in the same spot. So yeah. he felt the strike. That's right. That, so his connection is, is not just visual, it's also like sensory, I guess. Mm. He felt the same pain. That's, that's good. That's um, big. So, yeah, it was kind of cool. But like he, he's like, oh, he's like, curse you, risk breaker. Like, where yeah. are you kind of thing, right? But it's just cool because like all these factions that are involved, and this is something I love. We talked about this a lot in Xenogears. Yeah. I love oh, yeah. when you show villains having doubts and concerns yes. and conflicts that they're yeah. coming up against too. So it's not that just like the villains are always winning and the, the, the heroes are always trying to like find some way to like, you know, beat them, but it's like insurmountable. Yeah. I like it when they humanize villains too and it's yeah. villains are also concerned. So he, he's like talking about this, they can't control these monsters, it's getting out of hand, the paling will fall and they'll get out, the, you know, they'll get out of mm -hmm. Leomond. So he's worried about that. Um, you know, Samantha and Nisa are kind of worried about the undead coming at nightfall. Um, and, and Guildenstern's like, oh, this risk breaker, like, he's yeah. watching me. Like, he can, he, he can, I got to be more careful about talking about my plans and things like that, even among my trusted uh, advisors and things, because he could be watching me at any time. So it's like you're seeing the villains, Sidney and Hardin, Guildenstern and Samantha, and all these people are all having pretty severe conflicts they're coming yeah. up against. Yeah. And I love to see that. I think it's great. It yeah. makes it unpredictable. It's like, who's going to get the upper hand here? 
and at any time it seems like the, the, the momentum of that is shifting. Mm -hmm. And we talked about that a little bit in the Final Fantasy Tactics uh, podcast too, right? Like when you're writing a scene, almost like when you're blocking a fight scene, right? You don't just want one guy to just dominate the fight the whole time. Yeah, yeah. You want it to swing, the momentum to swing back and forth. Right. Rocky is a great example. It's Rocky. Like you're getting beat for a while, then it's like, ooh, momentum shifts. Well, this is sports, basically. Yeah. Like what a good sports game where someone's yeah. like, oh, that was a great game. That was a game where this happened. The, the, back the, and forth the, the whole game. The Buffalo Bills, Kansas City Chiefs, uh, <laughs> AFC um, uh, semifinal. It's not called semifinal. I forget the technical term for it. Anyways, it's the game before the, the AFC championship. championship. The game oh, the game before, before that. that. Oh, geez. Oh. Um, so you have the wild card round, and then the forget it, and then the AFC championship. Anyways, yeah. I don't know if you saw that. I didn't watch any football Holy this year. Holy crap! That it was one of the best games I've ever seen. Oh, really? Um, it would be Josh Allen just touchdown, and then like Patrick Mahomes right back, and it's just the, yeah. I mean, they Josh Allen scored. Threw a touchdown pass with literally 14 seconds left in the game. That's crazy. And everyone, the the announcers were like, the game is over. Yeah. And then Patrick Mahomes drove in 14 seconds and scored a touchdown. That's insane. That, like 80 yards or something. Where was the defense? Yeah, not not <laughs> present. Not existent. <laughs> See, but that's what makes a game exciting, it's, and it's what yes, makes the back it's and what forth. makes a game a story. Yes. Right? I think that's the important part there. And that's like what the whole sports media does. Is yes, they, they, they try they to turn it into a story. Stories and it's it. clearly meant to be that way because yeah. the draft favors the worst team. It's like, hey, yep. we need to make sure all the teams are so close to evenly matched yeah. so that we can get good stories. Yes. Because stories come from evenly matched things. Conflict trading. and So the worst thing. team gets the first pick of the best college player can yeah. go play for that team. Right. And then... Yeah, anyways, it's clearly set up for that. So yeah. you need to do that in your story. You need to do that even in just like scenes of dialogue where you have drama and conflict, like shifting momentum. Who yeah. has the upper hand? Keeping the reader or the audience guessing at that all the time. And that's mm -hmm. what keeps them engaged. It's like, ooh, what's going to happen next? Same concept. And they're doing a great job of that yeah. here with all of this. Okay, um, so so then Rosencrantz shows up. Yeah, this part. so Ashley sort of <laughs> the connection's broken. He's bleeding from the lip, and Rosencrantz shows up and starts talking. This is some really interesting dialogue. This scene here. is one of the best scenes in the game. Yeah, it's really good. Only one up by the one after it with Sydney, but <laughs> but yeah, this scene's this scene's phenomenal because so, you don't really know what to make of Rosencrantz, and it's clear yes. that Ashley doesn't know who this is. Yes, right, right. And I, I copied down, like, <laughs> like all the dialogue. The whole the thing? Scene. Okay, well, let's just go just, through it. It's just so good. The dialogue I, in this game I is so good. I copied down a few lines. So Rosencrantz starts mentioning that all people are tuned to a certain rhythm. You were mentioning this a little bit in the last episode. Yeah, yeah. There's like a Some can find a like rhythm and jump on board. So true seers can join one regardless of their rhythm. So yeah. Ashley is sort of like intuitively finding the rhythm of certain people, and that's how he's able to see through them, whether it's Merlot's or now Samantha. Yeah. So he's not reached the level of true seer yet, probably like Hardin's closer. Yeah, to where Hardin can just go to anywhere, yeah. it seems. Yeah. So Ashley doesn't have control over this yet, but he's, his powers are becoming more formidable over time. It's like yeah. he's getting like more and more masterful with things, but he's not quite there yet with the seer thing. So that's what Rosencrantz is saying. He says, but not you, not yet. Um, so he, he then goes on to tell him 
that he, he Rosencrantz, is also a risk breaker, and that yes. he was sent here yes. by Parliament to help him. We yeah. know that's not true. That's because so not prob probable. Duke yeah. Bardorba sent him here. We saw that earlier in yeah. the game. So oh, that's right. We that's know right. he's lying I see, about I see. this. So this is where Rosencrantz's intentions are really start to become confusing. It's like, yeah, yeah. whose side is he on here? Right. So, anyways, Ashley doesn't believe him though. No, Ashley's not like, at all. Well, you're not a risk breaker. He's Why? Super skeptical. Why because would you say that? You should know this. If you were an apparent <laughs> risk breaker, yeah. uh, risk breakers work on their own, right? And like, yeah. it's unthinkable that the VKP would change plans mid-mission. This is oh, like yeah. not protocol. This is not yeah. how it works. So he's really questioning him here, right? He's yeah. totally skeptical of him. But Rosencrantz tries to explain it away a little bit, saying that, Ashley seems to be the only person <laughs> in all of this who does not understand what's going on in the city. Yes, He's that's like, true. That's You're true. the only person who does not get He's what's like, happening He's like, I know here. what's going on, yeah. Uh, he says the VKP and Parliament know, or have known, about the dark powers and the dead that walk. They've just kept it a secret. Mm. So they didn't fill you in on this. Mm -hmm. They're using you, and you don't even know what they're after here, right? And so that's what gets him interested. And, and Ashley yeah. says... He like, I don't know if he had to sort out, but he, he sort of like softens a little bit yeah. there. He's like, He's like all right, let's talk. Yeah, go continue. on. Yeah, <laughs> continue. Keep talking. So this is where he begins to explain Leomond as a wellspring, right? Yeah, this is, this is important. He says, a power grows in those like you whom its dark waters have touched. You may not feel it or understand it, but it is there, making you something more than mortal. To wit, there is no power without the dark. Yet that's, it is not easily tamed. Yes, that's the duality mm -hmm. that we were talking about last episode, that there is no power without the dark, the, right? They're yes, codependent. the light and the dark yeah, they're codependent. Helix, they exist yes, in tandem. The idea that Leomond is a wellspring, wellspring has like a general <clears throat> definition, which is like just a, an, an endless source, right? Mm -hmm. But when you're saying a wellspring of dark water, right? Yeah. Now water can represent chaos, but we also know that that city is there's a lot of water yes, involved in the city, right. mm -hmm. but the wellspring idea is that the water is coming up from, from the bottom. It's not top down, it's not right. rainwater. It's, it's, it's an endless flow of dark water coming from the deep depths of the underground, yes, right? right? Which is partly like in the Noah's Ark story, that's how mm. the flood happened. The rain came down, but also the earth opened and water came up from, from the ground, yep. which is, <laughs> which is uh, how would you put that? That's the Teom. The Teom means the deep, the abyss. But Teom is the word for Teomat, or Tiamat, Tiamat the, yeah. the um, dragon of the Babylonian mythology that yeah. lives underground and that's the, the goddess of water. Well, I think her body is made up of the ground. But the idea is that she was the goddess of salt water, right? And so as the earth kind of trapped her up, the earth opened up and then the, the, the chaos of Tiamat was allowed to come back and burst forth back into the world and flood it, right? Anytime you're dealing with a flood, I think you can look for some type of Noah's Ark kind of ideas mm, there, yeah. or Gilgamesh or whatever you want, because the, the flood is such a common theme throughout all cultures around the whole world, right? They all kind of talk yeah. about a flood, right? And the idea is that it comes from the earth. It doesn't necessarily come from the sky because the earth underground, that's where the dark power resides, mm. right? And so you get essentially a baptism of water, right, of the city is, is 
baptized by the, the waters of chaos. And then after that comes the baptism by fire. Mm. And I think that's a, a for yeah. sure yeah, thing that is right. definitely being hinted at here. Yes. Um, but anyways, we'll get to what the baptism by fire is a little bit later. Yeah. Uh, but the wellspring and the dark waters, right? We're talking about Mother Tiamat that is you know, just beneath the earth waiting to break out. And, mm. you know, the chaos is just like right there, you know? Yeah. So he it. goes on to say, thus Parliament raised a paling around the cities of men and mm. set the dark out to pasture. Leomond, however, yeah. has, a strong, has strong ties to the dark, for this is the dark city of the ancient Kildean priestess Mullenkamp. So this is, I think, the first time in the game that Mullenkamp is mentioned. The oh, the person, Mullenkamp. not the group. Yeah, right, yeah. The, the dancer girl from the opening okay, sure. title cinematic. Yeah. Thing, right? This is the first so time they, I think they mention her. They set a perimeter around it, right, trying yeah. to isolate it. Yeah. But they're, they're not dealing with it. It will break yes. beyond the perimeter. Right. Yeah, which is the idea of Tiamat, by the way. That's how when Marduk, when Marduk slayed Tiamat, he brought a net so that he could contain... Tiamat in a perimeter, so they could define the borders, uh, right? You could create a thing where I categorize it, right? Mm. This is what it is, and then you hold it still, right? And that's essentially the idea of a perimeter, right? And that's what they've done here with this city, but it, it, um, it will eventually, the perimeter will eventually break. Yeah. He then says, all that was needed is fodder, and they would come to feed. The great quake 25 years past uh, stocked the city's larders with corpses. The wandering spirits wail and hunger. So he's alluding here that Parliament VKP are after the power of the dark in Lamon, that there was a need for fodder, yes. right? And that the earthquake stocked the city's larders with corpses. Yeah. So I don't know. So sacrifice of 5,000 people. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> In order to like make this happen, right? Um, so basically what he's saying is that Parliament is using Ashley so that they can gain control of Leia Mon's dark powers, right? Um, unknowingly to him. Um, Ashley listens to all this and basically turns to walk away and says, I will cut you next we meet. Leave the city before <laughs> sundown if you value your life. <laughs> nice. It's like... That's don't great. fetching. I'm not working with you. I don't trust you. You're you're very very suspicious, and I don't know if I should believe anything you're saying because they think he said something like there's no, um, there's no proof of this or there's no like uh, evidence for this, right? Mm. Uh, so he doesn't really right, want to believe true. what there's Rosencrantz no evidence, is yeah. saying, right? So, anyways. but we know that Ev Rosencrantz is telling the truth just because it's it's a story, <laughs> yeah, and the legends are always true. And they kind of turn to go separate ways, or at least Rosencrantz is pretending that. Yeah. But he gives him some advice on how to get through the snowfly forest. He's like, it's not good advice for how to get through the forest, though. <laughs> Think about the advice he gives. It's like the, the advice the he gives is... flies gather around the dark yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, so go there. <laughs> no, that's where the dark... That's where the monster will kill you. Avoid, he should say, avoid the snowflies yeah, sure. so that you can get through without dying, right? Yeah. Instead, he says, follow the snowflies <laughs> so that you can fight this massive... Was it the crab monster? I can't remember which one. So you can fight this huge, massive monster. Um, well, let's see here. Uh, but he, he then says, oh, he actually went in there. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he's like, like, oh, I was my surprised gosh. about it. He's like, well, yeah. looks like he probably won't make it through. <laughs> yes. He's like, okay, well, he did it. And this is where Grissom emerges. And, yeah. and you learn that Rosencrantz is also kind of seems to be playing the church, too. Yeah. Um, 
because uh, Grissom's talking to him about uh, how he wants revenge on Ashley for killing his brother. That's why he's here. But he's like, why are you here? You're supposed to be going and joining with Sydney. Right. You're supposed to be our double agent going and uh, infiltrating Sydney's people. Yeah. Like, why are you here right now? Why are you following right. the risk breaker? I'm going to, you know, kill him in revenge. So that's kind of how their um, conversation starts. Yeah. So they know what he, they know each other's purpose. Yeah. Um, I like how Rosencrantz says to him, "Be wary. Your foe is strong." Yeah. And Grissom says, "God is stronger." Yes, I love it. And then, <laughs> and then, uh, Rosencrantz says, "The dark is stronger." You mean? So it's there like he thinks his power, Grissom thinks his power is coming uh, from God. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, uh-uh. It's coming from the dark of this city. The dark, yeah. yeah. And this is where we're going to see here in a minute at the boss fight that comes up that Grissom starts to try to use some of the powers he's gaining. And it's like it almost kills him in the process, right? Yeah. So he's like, stop, like, you can't control this. Yes. As he summons yep. a monster kind of a thing. Um, but yeah, so Grissom is gaining, you know, gaining some powers too from being there but he thinks it's coming from God or makes the assumption yeah. or wants to believe his powers are divine. And, and Rosencrantz is like, nah, no, no, no. This is the dark <laughs> we're talking about. So I really liked that banter. That was good, forth. that was good. Um, yeah, like I said, Grissom asks him what he's doing there. You know, he's supposed to be joining Sydney to find what he calls the key. You're supposed to be finding the key. And uh, Rosencrantz explains that Sydney is summoning all these monsters and things that are springing up. Um, and Grissom says, well now, Sydney's cup overfloweth, and he calls forth a flood. Like that line a lot. Yes. Um, and then Rosencrantz says, there's a flood of vermin in the city, true, but it seems Sydney's manning the sluice. Mm. Sydney is increasing the flow of dark energies on purpose. Ah. Because Grissom was so like... So he has control over that somehow. Yeah, because Grissom was sort of like questioning that or had a question of some kind about that. He's like, well, you're a slow one. Like, yeah, yeah. Sydney's you doing this on yeah. purpose. Yeah. There's a reason why you're underestimating Sydney. You shouldn't be doing that. He, he, he knows what he's doing here. <laughs> yeah. Because he was trying to pass it off as like, oh, Sydney's cup overfloweth, right? Like he's... Right, he's, he's in over his head. Him. Yeah. Right, yeah. Like we have the upper hand and he's like, no... You yeah. don't. don't his, his point, Sydney. he's trying to overflow yes. his cup and the whole city and us <laughs> and everything. He's doing that on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, and that kind of calls back to the ghost boy who said he intends to die he earlier. He intends right? to die. So, yeah. like, yeah, he's, his cup is overflowing, but he's doing it for a reason. Um, okay, so both... Th then he gives him advice going into as well. Yes, says, same hey, advice. You go. I think that was funny. They included that both times. Yeah. Um, so both Ashley and Grissom really struggle to sort of make it through this force. It's kind of like a Lost yeah. Woods sort of feel to it. Oh, right? Grissom gets, he gets lost for sure. Yeah. Um, and separated from everybody. From his, his guys, Lambkin and, yeah. uh, oh, I forget the name of the other one. Chocolate Rob's going to be pissed I forgot that because we've <laughs> talked about it in the past. About I, I, I decided to include the two names almost kind of like they do in Final Fantasy. Where oh. like every time they have a wedge in a big oh kind of a yeah thing. yeah so there was Lambkin and there was another guy and I forget his name oh, right now anyways funny. but it's like oh, I I like those names I'm gonna use those in my book oh sick anyway um yeah they get separated and he almost kind of it's like yeah it's like he's completely lost 
Yeah, and so anyways, this is kind of a long section where you, you go through, you end up fighting those two crimson blades that kind of came in and yeah. got separated. There's a whole fight there. But at the end of the Snowfly Forest um, is where you encounter Sydney and Grissom facing. Yeah. And Sydney uh, is basically saying the weak cannot reign in the dark. So he's trying to con- he's trying to tell him like, no, you you can't control this. And Grissom yeah. tries to do a summon, but it like oh, and he like spits out blood. Yeah, and, and he he's falls like, over. what? I thought I could do it. And yeah, he falls. seemingly dead. Yeah. And so Sydney says, you know, in response to that, the weak cannot reign in the dark. There are limits to all things. You have reached yours. The dark is hungry. He says, turning to Ashley. Yeah. And it has fed. Mm-hmm. Love that line. But then Grissom gets back up, so he's not dead yet. And, and he like, finishes nope, the spell. I'm going to do this through yeah. sheer force of will. And he finishes the incantation and it brings down uh, like, like kind a of like a, yeah, like a hollow like yeah, yeah, yeah. suit of armor knight. kind of yeah, a thing. Yeah. Like a, a black knight to fight. And uh, he says, now in my brother's name you die to Ashley. Um, this fight's really cool because Ashley and Sydney are fighting together. Yeah, I, yeah. I believe that this was the stated intention we talked about earlier. Yeah. Where at many points in the game... There was it supposed to be different characters. Joining yeah. Ashley to fight. Mm-hmm. And they had to cut that for memory limitations yeah. and all sort of other things that they couldn't make work. But yeah. this is the one battle where I think you see some of those early intentions playing out. So Sydney is fighting with you. He'll buff you and like debuff enemies and things yeah. like that. So he's sort of like a support in the fight as, you, as you're uh, fighting against the Black Knight and Grissom both. So it's like a two-on-two fight. It's really cool. It's one of the most unique fights in the game for that reason. Yeah. Because you actually have somebody fighting with you for once. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and so I really, really liked that. This is the first time that Sydney and, and Ashley are kind of like on the same side, just so to speak. And that, that, go, that speaks to the, the dynamics of the game as well uh, with the bad guys and how the bad guys are against each other. There is no one... Like, this is the supreme, probably supreme bad guy. I mean, you can assume that Sydney fills that role. Um, but the bad guys are also fighting each other yeah. throughout. And that's kind of like Xenogears. Yeah, like, it's a exactly. very unique situation that um, is a little bit more plausible. That yeah. everyone's kind of got their own ambition here, their, their own ideas. Mm-hmm. Anyways, uh, you finish off that fight. And we get... My favorite scene of the game so yeah, far. Yeah, this scene's crazy. Because that Rosencrantz scene was really good. I really mm-hmm. liked it. And I thought, man, that was, that was one of the coolest scenes in the whole game. Yeah. And this comes like right on its heels. Then yeah. this scene shows up. And I'm like, whoa, this is way cooler. This was really, really This cool. was a trip. This is intense. Yeah. It's really good. And it's so well written. We're going to really break this down. Okay. So the, the, right after the fight's over, Sydney says, hmm. You reek, risk breaker. What is that stench? Ah, mm-hmm. you met Rosencrantz. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so Sydney's aware of Rosencrantz in the city. Um, and, and so Ashley says, he told me Leomond is a wellspring for the dark. Mm. And so Sydney just says, what think you? And Ashley says, I've been shown a lifetime of oddities in a day. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> like, this, this place is crazy. I don't know what to believe. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so Sydney sort of says, so you believe the dark exists, yet you do not believe that which you cannot see? He's questioning how earlier uh, Ashley had yeah. doubted some of the things Rosencrantz was saying about Parliament and the dark being, or, or, or the Leomon being a wellspring and 
all that sort of thing. He was like questioning all that because he was he's like, a, no he's evidence. a materialist. Yeah, he's a no, secularist. There's no evidence for this. And yeah, so yeah. Sydney is calling out the conflict there, right? He's like, dude, you're you you're immersed in this darkness. You you're are seeing zombies. You still it's think happening to you. Yeah. Yet you still don't believe. You know, it's like what? Why? He's like the dark covers your eyes and you are blind. <laughs> there you go. Um, so Ashley says, "There's no proof. Am I to believe the great quake was man's doing?" particularly mm. like Parliament's doing, VKB, right? Right. Thousands of city folk, their lives sacrificed to make this wellspring. By whom? Parliament? The Cardinal? Um, and then Sidney tells him uh, to ask the sacrificed, the witnesses. Right, ask the witnesses. <laughs> there you go. Ask the corpses. Ask yep. the people who died here. Right. Loved that. I that, thought was that was good. Super cool. That man. was very good. Um, he goes on to say, Sidney goes on to say, You've impressed me. You truly are a risk breaker or a trained assassin, a killer. And this is where he starts to like piece together why do you think it is that you have all of these yeah. abilities? That, that you sudden, remember yes. yeah, how to do all these things? Is it because you're just this elite risk breaker or is it that you were something else before? And this is where we start to get some of the truth of Ashley's past. And it's Awesome. Yeah, this so is very cool. He shows him the same scene with the tree and the field and his family yeah. picnicking together and the knights coming in to kill her, right? And this is the, the where I was talking about where he was he was gonna offer his son wine. Yes. Marco is the name of the boy. Not he, it's not the sh like he was talking up the wine. He was yeah. just like, Man, wine's so good. <laughs> and the kids <laughs> he's like, It's like ambrosia, it's you know, like it's the like sweetest, the nectar of the gods. Delectable. Yeah. Thing. And the woman's just like, don't do that. Shut up. Like, stop it. But for whatever reason, he he's talking up the wine to the sun. Yeah. Um, I think wine, I mentioned wine in episode two. Yes. About it being something of a gateway to the sacred or the profane, right? Yes, right. It's a gateway to the upper world or to the underworld, right? And it, it um, he's offering that initiation idea you know, mm -hmm. to to this child, the child doesn't take it. Meaning, the child is pure. The child is in that middle ground. Is not yet um, either side. Is is an uninitiated, just you know, a pure child. Uh, but then he is so steeped in the alcohol. <laughs> He's so <laughs> he just loves it. He's talking it up. It's just the nectar of the gods, and it's just this great thing, thing that yeah. that he, um, you know, through the initiation he has taken upon himself. Anyways, um, I believe it's something along the lines of what we find out later on, that that was his consciousness descent to the underworld, also symbol symbolized by wine. So wine is, is here for, for both of these moments. But I think it's so funny too, because the mom's like, oh, I'll go, I'll go get some water. And yeah. he's like, oh, he can just have some of my wine. <laughs> and it wasn't until like a few lines later then the mom goes, don't give him the wine. I'll go get the water. And that's why she was walking why down the hill to begin away. with. Right. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure. I know there's a connection with the wine. I'm just not sure that I got it perfectly just now. Um, but we'll see if wine shows up again later on to okay. see if we can't make this. Something to think about. Connect full circle. Together. But it shows the guards killing the woman, right? Yes. And then as the woman falls dead, you see that it was Ashley. Yes. Ashley's the one there. Is revealed now, to have been the one. My, my initial thinking here is, oh, Sydney's just showing us via a very visual metaphor that we are the ones who are responsible. Okay, it's just like it's a, 
you know, oh, you see how you did this? This is your fault. Because that's what he told us last time. Yes. He said, you killed your son. You killed your wife. Yes. And it's like, no, it was some, some jackals. It wasn't me. And so this, I thought, was Sydney, and I, I would assume I'm not alone in thinking this. Sydney's showing us that it really was us, that it's like, oh, because you couldn't defend them. Yes. But then it goes even further down, yep. the, down the hole You're where it's like, no. the one who killed No, them. this is literally you. <laughs> this wasn't a metaphor. Yes. This is the actual memory. And how Sydney could have pieced that together is kind of crazy. But Sydney knows that this was a locked up memory for a reason. Yeah. And he, he kind of can intuit this kind of stuff. He's got that ability to be like, yeah. why'd you lock away this pleasant memory of your childhood? Oh, wait a second. It's not what you think it is. Mm-hmm. Something else happened here, and it was your fault. Yep. You so, were literally the person killing. Yes. And so this brings up a lot of questions. It's like, wait, did he kill his wife and son, or was he not married right. to this woman was all. that conversation about offering wine completely yeah. not real yeah. did that not a, happen a, like a made up memory it, in his mind but right? the wine symbolizes the unconscious just sure. in general because that's what wine does um, and it could either be sacred or profane transcendent or or the opposite of transcendent what would you say so, uh, subcendent I don't know undercendent um, but, but the fact that the wine is there while he's pretending to have this relationship with these people that I believe it is revealed he did not know who they were. These, this was not his wife and child. We're going to get more into this as the game goes on, but there is a That's purposeful, what this sense, scene a purposeful seems sense of ambiguity around this point. Sure. Um, okay. And so it is open to interpretation. It's something that fans of the game like to discuss a lot. Yeah. Um, but at least at this point, it, it appears that Sidney, or that Ashley, was not married to this woman. This was yeah. not his family. These were just innocent people that he mistook that he mistook for yeah. a target that he was supposed to be assassinated. Yes. And the guilt of this was so horrible that he would do anything to forget. Yeah, he would just anything to forget that squish he squish the this. memory, yeah. Right. So that's kind of the, what what Sydney seems to be getting at in the scene. What I would take it to mean that that whole drink and wine thing was not <laughs> was, <laughs> was not a part of it. Sure. But it could have been, I suppose. So he says to him, Sidney says to Ashley, the truth, Ashley, and he's of course rejecting that. Madness, foul deception. This yeah, cannot this be is, real. Yeah, this isn't real. And, and uh, Sidney says, you doubt what I have shown you? It is your memories that deceive. The VKP has burned sweet lies into your soul. And he's like, you lie. <laughs> yes, you're the one that did this. You're the one that showed me this lie. Yeah. And up to this point, I'm with him, too. I'm yeah. like, dude, Sydney's just screwing with him, yep, man. Right. Sydney's just screwing with him. This isn't real. So he, he, he goes on to explain. Sydney goes on to explain. An elite member of the King's Guard loses his wife and child. A tragedy. He becomes a VKP risk breaker. This is the lie. A memory false as summer snow. You were an assassin and a saboteur in an elite squad. Mistaking them for your target, you murdered an innocent family. For country and justice, you would take any life without thinking until you sent that family to their deaths. That's like a big moment. It's like, oh. Yes. That was a little too <laughs> detailed to just be some made-up thing from yeah. Sydney. Like, that That likely had some truth to it. Yeah. So it's like the, the memory he created, the one he chose yeah. to believe was, I was a, uh, what do you call it, a king's guard. Yeah. Right? I was out with my wife and family and this tragedy occurred and they were killed mistakenly or something, right? 
But it, and then that drove me to become a risk breaker because of right. that. that's what he constructed or concocted as the truth. Yep. But that's not at all what happened. He was the assassin <laughs> who killed the wrong people. Uh, Ashley was the wrong, was the assassin who killed the wrong people. Mm. Um, uh, and he says, uh, Ashley says in response, to, by the gods you lie. And Sydney says, the VKP saw the opportunity to turn your guilt into patriotic zeal. Right. They twisted your very soul, Ashley. You remember he was talking about the body and the soul being separate earlier, right? Yeah. The VKP did this to you. They helped manipulate or change. So you, I don't know how they went about this. Maybe there was a magical property mm. to it. Maybe this is something that I'm forgetting that they'll reveal later in the game. Okay. Um, but somehow the but VKP took advantage of his situation. Yeah, to kind and, of like kind turn of, it into a kind of what I was talking about last time. Yeah, there is like a real world yes. basis for this being possible. Yeah, where right. if you can break down those proteins and that protein synthesis that happens when you create memories, yeah. right? As you, it, it's base, it's not just that. It's not just in the formation of a memory or a learning. It's like you already learned this. Now, as you yeah. recall it, as you recall the memory, we break down the proteins in the mind you will then forget that thing ever happened. It will yeah. erase the memory of it. That's so crazy. maybe they employed some kind of magic that does this or something like that. It, it, this, all I'm saying is there's a real world basis for the fact that this could happen. Yeah. Um, which is crazy because they probably didn't understand that at the time because this research happened in the early 2000s. This game came out in 1999. You know, there's so, a movie called The Forgotten. Do you remember seeing The Forgotten? No. Is it The Forgotten? Maybe not where the aliens show up and they're like forcing this like woman to forget like her whole family and all this no, stuff. Oh, I've not seen that. Oh, it's crazy. It's a, it's a decent movie, but it deals with this exact thing. But as they're trying to get her to forget, um, it's in her recalling the memories that each memory she recalls, she then forgets. Yeah. And so they're trying to get her to remember all this stuff so that as she remembers it, they keep erasing it over mm. and over and over and over. Um, Maybe similar to Sunshine of the Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind as yeah. well. Yeah. Okay, so uh, VKP saw the opportunity to turn your guilt to patriotic zeal. They twisted your very soul, Ashley. Your despair at losing your family turned to hate for the lawless jackal that killed them, hate that should be reserved for yourself. You know what's crazy? Remember how I mentioned 1984 last episode? Yes. This is even more 1984, <laughs> taking that tragedy and then through torture, turning it into a zeal for the government yep. is the entire third part of 1984 <laughs> yep. that I literally just oh finished my gosh. reading, which is crazy. The end of that book, yeah. It's when, unbelievable. When they it's hard. take him in and reprogram. It's, it's but, but it, fetching nuts. But that sentence there basically is, is that. that. They twisted his soul to get him to hate, you know, the, the jackals and then love the, the government. The, yep, the, the patriotic zeal oh, replacing man. it. Yeah, the end of that book is exactly what this Wild. I think is. Yeah. Making me think of. Um, so again, you lie. And, he, and Sydney, uh, Sydney says, do I? Are your newfound abilities not proof enough? You believe Leia Mond responsible for creating this lie of a memory, he means, right? You think yeah. Leia Mond is creating the false The, the darkness, memory? yeah. yeah. You are remembering the killing arts you learned in a past life. So you were an assassin. You knew all these things before. Yeah. All Leomund is doing is restoring your memory, the true memory, which is why you're gaining all these abilities back because you repressed all this memory of who you were. And he's like, no, and he tries to like attack him. 
but he got into like teleports behind him. Yeah, and sort of it's Sydney's a cool got shot. Some weird. It's a cool shot because he like kind of falls to the ground in the foreground. Yeah, yeah. Just and he and kind then, of appears behind me. He's just standing there, like looking off in the distance. Yeah, as he continues <laughs> yeah, yeah. <to> him. <laughs> And we just stay on our hands and knees for a while, just like really trying to come to grips with this. And and Sydney says, "What is memory?" And this was kind of what we talked about in the last episode. What is yeah. memory? It's not a filing cabinet. No, yes, Where you exactly. go store a thing and bring it out. You're, yes. You recreate it's a your memories every time you decide to yeah, recall it. Yeah. You recreate it and it becomes falsified the more you do that. The longer, the more separated you are from that thing, the more the details get obscured and the more that you have to like yeah. fill in the blanks with your creative side. Your memory is not what you think it is, right? So he says, what is memory? Men forget that which pains them, create new memories to please themselves, lie to themselves, believe their own lies. The VKP may have wielded the brand that burned your soul, but you, you wanted them to do it. Mm. Love that line. You wanted them to burn your guilt away. And this is where Ashley's sort of like just distraught about all this, right? Yeah. What do you want, Sydney? What are you trying to do to me? And Sydney says, truth, risk breaker. I just want you to know the truth. And Ashley says, I spit on your truth. <laughs> nice, nice. Good line, man. Good line. <laughs> and Sydney says, but you've already begun believing. And yes. wrong, Ashley. He knows. Love that he knows. The word play is so fetching good. Yeah, it's, it's good. It's so good. <laughs> so I'm going to read that again because it's so powerful. I just want you to know the truth. I spit on your truth, but you've already begun believing. Am I wrong, Ashley? Yeah. You have seen demons walk the city streets, heard the cries of the dead and damned. You deny these things? Are they illusions? What did you see through the woman's eyes, Ashley? You, and, and so Ashley says to him, you think you can see the past? And uh, Sydney says, not see, hear. Here, like, what do you mean by that? Mm -hmm. And Sydney's just walking away, right? He's just leaving. Wait, Sydney. And Sydney says, "You want to know the truth? Follow me, Ashley Wright." And walks off camera. That scene is freaking great. It's a really good scene. <laughs> it's, I think it's my favorite scene in the game. It's it, like at least up to the point we've played so far. We we would never become a loyal follower of Sydney, but in one moment. He turned us from his enemy into somebody who will follow him yep. and will go He's with him literally to, just to find out the truth. Telling us to follow him and we're just yes. doing it, right? He cre well, to follow, this, that's the word for a disciple, right? Yes. He created a disciple <laughs> yep. out of his worst enemy, yep. a powerful, powerful person, his worst enemy. This goes um, to what Agent Melrose was saying yes, last back episode. Yes, the beginning. Where she's like, he has this uncanny charisma to even anybody will just follow him and... Yes. And just like give their lives for him. Basically, this is the complete payoff to that setup. Yes. So this that that whole discussion between Merlos and Ashley, right when he was first entering Leomond, was a setup to this scene. Yeah. Where Sydney would do that, what she was describing, would yeah. do that to him. And it's wild. And it's really good. <laughs> and it worked. And and it worked by because we don't know at this point. We don't know Sydney's intentions yeah we also don't know for a surety how much of what we just saw in that vision was was true and how much of it 
was false within his mm -hmm. memories, right? Because I'm saying him giving his son wine may not have been yeah. an actual Thing part of the truth, right. but that there was some semblance of truth in the um, the order of events. Yes, you know, and that that who did what, you know, and that but the dream is still probably not actually real. Uh, but then who did what becomes um, revealed through that scene, and so it's like okay, but. But what is real and what isn't? We still don't know that super well yet. Mm -hmm. um, but it, but it's it's enough. It's like just enough for Sydney to kind of like start reeling us along. Like mm -hmm. like you go on fishing, something bit, and you're hooked now, yep. right? And it's like who cares? We just want to see where this is going at this point. We yep. we know it's not going to end well, but we can't help but follow like yep. a moth to a flame, you know? Just like so oh. the fisherman analogy there is a really yeah. good one, but also the one they've already used, shepherd. Oh, uh, the shepherd. Sydney is oh, using sure. his crook yeah. to shepherd Ashley along. And he's and just make bringing him, him along. Follow him. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Sydney is a shepherd. And um, Ashley was the lost sheep. Yep, and he was Ash the lost sheep. And Sydney was just going and bringing him back into the fold. Yep. That's wild. That's exactly what this scene was all about. Now I'm starting to wonder about his dream being under that one tree. I assumed it was just for aesthetic reasons, but there could be a reason why it's a tree there instead. Sure. I don't really have. And this isn't the right last now. time we'll see that scene. Yeah, uh, there's there's more that's going to be added to it later, and that, which will clarify, at least maybe our own interpretations of what yeah. the truth was that really happened there. Like, did Ashley really have a wife and son? Mm. Like, what actually happened there? This is not done. Being we're going to keep yet. seeing You're, more. There's going to be more to this. Okay, good. As we go on, but um, really, really great. I mean. I don't know what else to say. Like, <laughs> if if you yeah, aren't convinced well at this point that Yasumi Matsuno is the best storyteller that Square's <laughs> ever had, I don't know what else to I don't know what else to show you to prove. Well, it. and it's so funny because it's short cutscenes, yeah, and short bits of dialogue, yeah. that lead to such an epic payoff. And yes. there's such a grand story, despite you know being interspersed with like an hour of gameplay before you get to the next part, <laughs> yes, you know, and, right. and somewhat tedious gameplay at that. Yes. And then it's like, but the the golden nuggets are just so, they're so they're, great. They're so precious and so well executed and so good and so thought provoking and so well written. I just, I love it. And I think he's, I think he's a beast. So yeah, that's too. where we decided to leave off for this we episode. Did. So it was a shorter one this I time. I will but put in the pinned comment where to play up to for next time. We're, if, you're, if we're just basing it on the cutscenes of the game, right? I, I'm not accounting for like all the gameplay in between. But as yeah. far as, as, as cutscenes go, we're roughly halfway through the story of Vagrant Story at this point. Um, so I don't know precisely, because I'm trying to get, I don't want to like give people 10 hours or 15 hours to play yeah. through for one episode. So I'm going to have to look into that a little bit. Um, to give you guys a target for it to play up to for next time. So look for that in the pinned comment. Of course, looking forward to hearing all your thoughts on what we've been discussing so far, and we'll see you again next week. Peace out, everybody. Peace.